0: We appreciate very much the presence of each one here this afternoon. We'd like to welcome you to this assembly of the Lord's house. I'm glad to be here once again and to have this opportunity to be your speaker. Uh, We're glad to have visitors once again. So um, we've got a lot to be thankful for here tonight and I'd like to begin by a subject which is a little bit different, a little bit different direction than what we've done up to this particular period of time. And I'm going to introduce this lesson by telling you something that happened to me a long time ago now. I was holding a meeting in a particular place way out in West Texas. And after the meeting, and I've mentioned this already, I don't remember just what lesson it was, everybody has disappeared, sort of, and there's one old fella who's hanging back. And I said this already, when somebody does me that away at a gospel meeting, I know they got something they want to talk about. There's something on their mind, and so they're letting the audience clear out uh, so they can talk to the preacher in private. And that's what happened. Everybody cleared out, and this old fellow come up to me, and he was a very muscular little short man about that tall. Uh, just not big at all as far as stature, but a very... Uh, uh, robust build as far as his body was concerned. And I got to look at him and uh, I knew him sort of. Uh, he had told me some things about him. He was 90 years old, uh, 90 years old and a faithful member of the Lord's church. So I asked him, uh, could I help him? And he said, yeah. And before he could say anything, I looked at him and a great big old tear was rolling down his cheek. I'm talking about one of them big tears that comes out and comes down and on the other side. And I said, what's wrong with you, brother? He said, i got a terrible burden. He said, in all of my life, I have never been happy. Now, think about that just for a minute. What did he tell me? In all of his life, he'd never been happy. Now, friends, I want to tell you, that's a tragedy right there. He went on to explain that when he was a young man, that he'd had a terrible thing happen, that he had killed a person. Now, he'd killed this person accidentally in a fight, but he said, you know, I've never gotten over that. In all of my years, I think about that, there's not a night goes by that I don't grieve over that. He says, that was terrible. And you know, I'm standing there looking at this fellow, big old tears running down his cheeks. And I said to him, when did you become a Christian? He said, I was 30 years old when I obeyed the gospel. I said, let me tell you something for sure, and this ought to help you if if nothing else can. You know, you've been a Christian now for 60 years. Do you know God forgave you of that terrible thing that happened to you uh, when you were 30 years old? He forgave you and he's never remitted to get you again. Uh, Up to this point, you're now 90 years old and you're still holding yourself guilty. I didn't say it like this, but this is what I thought. You ought to be ashamed. God doesn't want you to be that way. He doesn't want you to be a 90-year-old man standing here crying because of something. He did 30, or more than that, probably when he was about 20, and uh, you obeyed the gospel and he forgave you 60 years ago. Now, I hope you don't have things like that clouding the closets in your mind. I hope you don't have things that are grieving you and holding you back that God has forgiven you about. And this is something I want to talk a little bit about. I'm going to use a text, Psalms 144, verse 15. The Psalmist said, "'Happy is that people in such a case, "'Yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord.'" God wants us to be happy. He has given us every opportunity to be happy. He's provided us with opportunities which the rest of the world can't even begin to understand. To be happy. And I want to encourage you to be happy tonight. I would like to point out some of the things that God has done for us. And I'm gonna write them up here on the board so we can keep account of them. Um, I find that this is something to begin with. Uh, I find that in order to be happy, uh, you have to have something to believe in. What's that? You need something to believe in. Now, when I was first starting to study this, I am not a psychologist or a psychiatrist or any of those other psych I don't know anything about, as I've already told you earlier in the week, I know nothing about the human mind. My daughter is a uh, counselor, and she's told me a few things about people, and she said one of the greatest tragedies she sees in people's lives is a lack of happiness. And I thought, you know, I need to talk about that a little bit. Because you know what? The Christian life is the best life you can live. It gives you opportunities to be happy. And that's something which we're going to be concerned about. Let me begin like this. We said it, uh, you need something to believe in. uh, even the people who started the human mind from a secular sense they tell us that's necessary you've got to have something you can put your confidence in you've got to have a rock to anchor your soul to you've got to have something you can say this is right and it cannot be wrong and I want to be a part of it Well, do you know what? The Christian life affords us just exactly that anchor. It gives us just exactly what we need to know in order to be able to say, I believe in God. As a result of that, I get all kinds of benefits. Let me begin and i uh, n- name a few of them. You know those who do not believe in God, they got uh, some very foolish conclusions, and we've mentioned some of those throughout the week. Uh, these people that are anti-God, uh, they've got some strange ideas. For instance, uh, the idea that this world just accidentally happened as a result of some catastrophic accident in eons of millions of years ago. Really? Is that what happened? Or the idea, you know, this earth is hurtling through space and nobody has it under control. It's just bouncing out there like a pinball machine and nobody's watching out over it. How do you like that? You like that idea? How about the idea that the wonders of creation we talk about from time to time, uh, the glories of heaven itself, the ideas of a beautiful world and a beautiful earth, and I've talked about how pretty it is around here. You know, that was just happenstance. All of that just sort of come into existence without any rhyme or reason. And the one that aggravates me the most is this fourth one right here. My life and your life is nothing more than a happy combination of chemicals at the right place at the right time. How do you like that? That doesn't make me feel good at all. None of those do. But you see, I believe in God. As a result of that, I don't have to believe in those ideas. For instance, the idea that this old world just came into existence by a catastrophic accident, some big boom a long time ago. I don't believe that. You know what I believe? I believe in Genesis chapter 1 at verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. I like the idea much more that this old earth was created, rather blown into existence. You see how that can make you happy? That's just the start. We got a whole bunch of these things tonight. Secondly, the ridiculous atheistic idea that my ancestors crawled out of some prehistorical muck as some little tadpole and stood up and eventually began to fly around the world in a matter of hours, build skyscrapers and transplant hearts and guardians and kidneys and do all sorts of wonderful things. Now, you might be happy with the fact that your ancestors walked around with their knuckles dragging in the dirt, but I'm not. My ancestors were not that way. Neither were they little tadpoles that ran up and did all these wondrous things. My ancestors were the most perfect woman and the most perfect man the world has ever seen, and I claim them. Listen to this. Genesis 1 verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. I'd rather have the image of God as the image of a, image of a tadpole, had you? Sure. Doesn't that make you glad? makes me glad to recognize that I am created in the image and the likeness of God. And you know the, the notion that this old world is hurtling through space. It's no wonder the world is, uh, uh, is uh, scared to death or the world is stressed out. I I did a little research. I found out that the earth, this ball of clay that you're sitting on and I'm standing on, uh, is uh, going around the sun at the rate of 66,619 miles an hour. Uh, At the same time, it's turning on its axis at the rate of 1,037 miles an hour. Now, I don't know about you, but I know about me, I don't want to be on anything going 66,000 miles an hour with nobody at the wheel. Nobody has it under control. As I said, it's no wonder people are scared. You ought to be scared if that's the case. That's not the case. God that I believe in has this world under control. And you know with all the calamities that go on this earth, keep this in mind, God has got it under control. I read in the book of Revelation, and by the way, we're going to do that several times tonight. And in Revelation, we find out that John gets to look right into heaven in Revelation 4, the first two verses. And you know what John sees? He sees God sitting on the throne. You know what that represents? That represents the fact that God is, has it under control. He has it under control. There are several things that go with it. People ask me once in a while, do I vote? No, I don't vote. You know why I don't vote? I'm just leaving it up to God. The Bible says in Daniel 2 verse 21, He removeth kings, he setteth up kings. It says in Romans 13 verse 1, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God, the powers that be are ordained of God. You know if you vote and the person you vote for is not elected, you know what you did? You voted against the will of God. He puts them in, he takes them out, Somebody told me if all the Christians would vote, we might could elect somebody. If every Christian in the world, and I'm talking about a real true Christian, if every Christian in the world voted, they couldn't elect a dog catcher. There's not enough of us. That's not a point. The idea is we don't have to be concerned about things like that. Now, politics, I enjoy from a distance, but I don't get involved because, as I said, God puts them in and He takes them out, and I'm contented just to let Him do it. Because that's something which relieves a problem for me. I don't have to be concerned or worried about it. Uh, a little bit further, I find out that I believe in the God. Now listen to this. Who loves me so much that he gave his only begotten son so I could be saved and go and live in, he- in heaven with him forever. That's, what, that's a wondrous thing. Think about it. This God that I believe uh, loves me so much, He wants me to come and live with Him. I want to tell you a little episode. one, One spring... We were going across the country, and for the benefit of my girls, I went in a van, a full-size van like there was so many a few years ago, and we were riding along, and I don't know where we were, but uh, we were going along, and I'm sitting there, and I'm driving, and Darlene's sitting over here in the passenger chair next to me, and Deborah's asleep back on the bed, and Jody's laying down on the floor with a little bitty television about that big, watching something she's seen 30 times before. Now, then, you didn't have to be worried about having your kids strapped down or anything that. Uh, they just wallered and laid around anywhere they wanted to. And I'm thinking, you know, I need to think of something to get something on the girls' minds. It just so happened, it was in the spring, about the time that our country observes Easter as a holiday. And I began to think, you know, maybe I could get a question out of that. And I did. I got a question. And I said, hey, Deborah, Deborah, Get up, put your feet on the floor. I want to ask you something. I said, Jody, turn off that television and listen to me. And here's what I asked them. Now, think about this before you just dismiss it. I think this is a pretty good question. I said, do you know why they don't have Easter for Confucius? Do you know why they don't have Easter for Mohammed? Do you know why they don't have Easter for Buddha? And Jody, who was our little Apostle Peter, if you wanted to know anything, all you had to do was ask her. She said as indignant as she could be, well, daddy, they're still dead. And that's exactly right. They are still dead. Their, Their steps led to the tomb, and they don't come out. But that's not the way with Jesus. Jesus Christ died for us, and then was gloriously resurrected, and is making intercession for us tonight. That's the kind of Savior we have, and that's the one that I believe in because of God blessing us with the gift of His only begotten Son. If you can't feel good over that, I don't know what else I'm going to say this evening. There's something that will make you feel good. The fact that God loves you, and I want to drop something in right here. You parents with young children, tell your children God loves them. That's really important. And when you start doing that is when you're just getting getting to the point that they begin to hear and listen a little bit, tell them God loves them. That's something that builds their esteem. That's something that gives them a little confidence in themselves because that's the truth. And we can believe something like that. I find that you and I have a God to believe in, and that helps us in all kinds of ways. I'm going to read a little passage here, and this is out of Philippians chapter 4. And all you Christians need to know Philippians chapter 4. Let me read there beginning at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. The word rejoice means be happy. Be happy in the Lord. Look here. Let your moderation be made known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. That's supposed to make you happy. Be careful for nothing. I need to stop right there. You know what be careful for nothing means? It means don't worry. Now, I know that's easy for me to say standing up here, but the Bible tells us, let your moderation be made unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Don't worry. You know, worry is pretty useless. I don't know whether you ever thought about it like this. You know when you're worrying, you know what you're doing? You're talking to yourself about things you can't change. Pray to God instead. You know what you're doing when you're praying? You're talking to God about things he can change. You see the difference? Uh, Worry is something some people are worse at than others. I do not consider myself a big worrier, but I know some. When I was trying to learn how to preach, I traveled with Brother Johnny Elmore, and one year we were coming back into Oklahoma City from the north side, and that old red and white station wagon he used to have, it died out of Oklahoma City. I mean, it died never to rise again. We barely got it off the road. And uh, after a while, we made our way into Oklahoma City. It was difficult. Got to Oklahoma City, and we got down to the bus station. We had to catch a bus because that night we were supposed to be about 80 miles further down the road to start another meeting. And we're sitting there waiting, and the bus is late. And you know what? I'm having a pretty good time. You know, these big city bus stations are kind of like going to the zoo. And I'm looking around and uh, it's pretty entertaining. But I made the mistake of looking at Johnny and Johnny's wound up tight. And when he saw me looking at him, that made him worse. He said, don't you know we're going to be late? Now, I really believe I was having too good a time and he wasn't. Uh, Don't you know we're going to be late? And now I got upset. My stomach's eating on itself just like his was eating on him. And uh, I began to think, you know, we're not going to make it. That bus is not going to get here. It's going to be late. So we're sitting there all wound up. And after a while, the bus pulled in. The bus driver got off, strolled over to the snack bar, got himself a cup of coffee and a donut. Got him another cup of coffee and another donut. And then he announced everybody going south, get on the bus. And we did. And we barely made it that night. Now, later on, I got to thinking about it while we were sitting there worried. Did that make the wheels turn faster? Did that make the, uh, uh, when, we get, when he got there, chop off and swallow a donut and gulp down a cup of coffee? No, it didn't change anything. That's why they call worry uh, an exercise in futility. That's all it is. And so God tells us don't worry. You know, one of the biggest drugs across our druggist counters is some kind of a tranquilizer. Now, I'm not besmirching tranquilizers because I know that they help some people. But you know what we've learned about tranquilizers? Tranquilizers do not bring tranquility into people's lives. They don't do it. Uh, the tranquility that you'd like to have in your life comes from you recognizing God and having the relationship to, with Him that you can talk to Him when you need to. And that's a privilege given to all those that are Christians. I'm sorry, from the world, you know, this world we live in, they don't think about praying until they're down to the bottom of the barrel and then they begin to try to pray. Jesus said it, or the, the blind man said in John 9 verse 31, now we know God here is not sinners. But if any man be a worshiper of him and doeth his will, him he heareth. Sinners are not privilege to speak to God. They're not his son. They're not his daughter. You are. And as a result of that, you get to, te- to speak to your father. Let's read a little bit more there in, first, in Philippians 14. He goes on to say, uh, Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. Instead of worry, he says, let your request be made on unto God. What, what is different about that? Well, look at the next verse. And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God that passes understanding. Have you ever seen anybody you thought had the peace of God? Unexplainable peace of God? I have. I've seen a few people that had the peace of God. We had one recently at home. We had a lady that had a horrendous uh, type of cancer. And uh, she knew her time was short. And I don't care how she was feeling. She did her best to be in the assembly. And if you ask her how she was, here's what she'd say. And she became kind of famous for this. It is what it is. And she'd smile. This wasn't eating her up. This wasn't uh, something she was looking at as a gruesome grim thing. This was something that she recognized she could contend with, that she could stand up to because she believed in God. The peace of God passes understanding. That's a promise which he has made to us if we'll give him the opportunity to bless us in that way. Because I am a Christian, I believe in a God who will take care of his children. It uh, worries me nowadays. We've gotten so far from this idea until there's a lot of people forget about it. Do you know we have Christians that carry guns for the intention of um, defending themselves? We have Christians that have got all sorts of things in the way of protection uh, as far as they're concerned. Now, I'm not advocating that you do something uh, to put your life in jeopardy. I'm just saying you need a confidence of God. You know, if you're carrying a pistol or a gun for some type of uh, protection, here's what you're doing. You're telling God, I can take care of myself. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to let Him do what He does. And I find that's what he expects. Listen to these verses, Second Timothy 1 at verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. He didn't give us a spirit of fear. Let me read another one, Psalms 56 verse 11. In God I put my trust, I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. Let me ask you all something. What can a man do to you? I had one hit high C over that question. He said, he could kill you. Huh, you mean let you loose to go home to God? Perish the thought. Perish the thought. You mean he could? Yeah, he could kill you. But what is that as far as we're concerned as a Christian? Is it our goal to make heaven our eternal home? Aren't we got our sights set on paradise? What can a man do to you? Here's my favorite verse, 1 John 4 verse 4. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Because of our belief in God, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Think about that once in a while when you need some special extra heavy duty help. And just remember that. It ought to make you glad. The Christian life gives us that opportunity I have something I want to read. I don't read things very often, but I want to read this. I used to take a magazine, and one day I got this magazine, and it told this sad little story. It said it like this. Stephen Patrick Downs. A freshman at the University of Mississippi was an honor student. He was an athlete listed in the who's who among American high school students. He was active in the Safari Club International, of Mississippi chapter. He attended the SCI Apprentice Hunter program in Texas. He was a Lions Club delegate. He represented Mississippi in the Washington, D.C. Leadership Conference. He had reached the rank of life in the Boy Scouts. Mr. Downs died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound at his home home in Jackson, Mississippi. He was 19 years old. He was a good grandson. His grandfather said, we're all wondering why. Me too. Why does any 19-year-old young man who's accomplished everything he ever set out to do, why does he kill himself? you know some don't make it to 19. You remember a few summers ago when that rash happened down in Houston, Texas and all them little kids went to killing himself 12, 13, 14 years old. What is a 12 year old kid doing killing himself? My suggestion is, and at least I'm going to use this for Mr. Downs here, he woke up one day empty. He had nothing. He had nothing to believe in. He had nothing to trust in. He had nothing to put his confidence in. So he killed himself. Now don't think you get away that away. way He stepped out of the skillet into the fire. That's something which is amazing to think about, that people are so, uh, so something that they want to escape it entirely. They need God's what they need. They need somebody to trust in such times as that. And you can have that if you're a Christian. Uh, let's go again though not only do you have to have something to believe in there's a second thing that you have to have and uh, all the sack people they agree with this you need something to work at something to occupy your hands something to occupy your mind and the Christian life gives you that Uh, again I'm going to continue right there in Philippians 4 and I'm going to read verse 8 finally brethren Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. The Christian life can occupy your mind, and that's really what you ought to let it do. Do you notice these words? If you're thinking about things that are true, that'll keep you out of lies and deceit and falsehood. If you're thinking about things that are honest, that'll allow you to avoid cheating and stealing and fraud. If you're thinking about things that are just, that'll keep you out of prejudice and partiality. If you're thinking about things that are pure, that's opposed to impure. It'll keep you out of pornography and evil thinking. Lustful ideas. Think on things that are lovely. Lovely is an old English word we don't use much anymore, but we should. It has a really good meaning. The idea of things that are lovely is of good attitude, uh, of kindness, and no fault finding. Things that are lovely. Again, of good report. That explains itself. Virtue is just moral excellence. The idea of virtue just actually, actually means you be good. You think on things that are good. Things worthy of praise. You know, there's an old adage that we sometimes use, from the heart comes the issues of life. Well, let me tell you, that's scriptural. Uh, The scripture is Proverbs 23, verse 7. Uh, The proverb writer says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. And I find that's something that you and I have an opportunity to do. To think on these good things. As he thinketh in his heart, you know, so many times you say the word heart to people and they pat their chest. That's not the heart the Bible's talking about. It's just up here. And I'll tell everybody this. You get this up here good and straight and cleaned up and headed in the right direction and thinking about the right things and everything else falls right into place. It works that way. And you need to give that a chance if this is something that's a problem to you. Secondly, the Christian life gives you something to use your hands to work at Uh, I have a long list, I'm not going into all of these, but I'll mention it like this. It gives us some good deeds to do. As Christians, we're supposed to be doing some good deeds. Uh, If you're a husband, it ought to make you want to be the best husband you can. If you're a wife, you ought to want to be the best wife you can, the best mother you can, the best daddy you can be, the best friend you can be, my best brother or sister in Christ. And all that takes effort, don't you see? But it's good, and it's good for you. It gives us the opportunity to involve ourselves in good works. The Bible says in James 1 verse 27, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, here it is, and keep himself unspotted from the world. I believe there's people in this audience this evening that are working to keep yourself unspotted from the world. It's a good work. And it's a good effort. And I want to tell you something else about it. It's good for you. It's good for you. Uh, Good works and good things in your life will keep you out of a lot of trouble. If you pursue the Christian life and work at it, let me tell you a few things it will do for you. It will keep you out of drugs that are raging our country and the world right now. It will keep you out of alcohol. It'll keep you out of adultery and fornication and homosexuality. It'll keep you out of fights and brawls. It'll keep you out of diseases. If you keep yourself unspotted from the world. I like to sum it up like this. Uh, The Christian life is good for your face. I get to stand for people like you all the time. This is one of my privileges, one of my perks. I'm looking out here right now, and I'm, I know most you people. And um, I'm not going to tell on you, but I know how old you are, most of you. And some of you older seasoned citizens, you're older than these people here think, because you look good. I'm not joking about this. Sometimes people think I'm just agging them all with stuff like that. But uh, the idea of the Christian life is good for your face. Uh, your face is a reflection of your life. You know, I've looked in some people's face, and they had a face that looks like it's wore out two or three good bodies. I've looked in some people's faces, and it looks like a map of Disney World. They had a hard time. Yours is not that way. Now, I know there are exceptions, illnesses and such as that. But most of us have a pretty good appearance. And that's because the Christian life is good for you. I said this the other day, but I like the way this goes together. There is a high price on low living, and it shows up in your face. So the Christian life will keep you out of things like that. It is something, again, that uh, we need to be aware of. Brother Dwayne Permitter, who's one of my friend, a very good friend, preachers, told me something a while back. He said in Zambia, Brother Dwayne lived over in Zambia. Zambia is a small country in Africa. And he's lived there. I think he lived there, for, all told, about 12 years. And he said, you know, in Zambia, we have an epidemic. He said, we got a plague. Now, when I think about Africa, and I think about an epidemic or a plague, you know, I think about one of those uh, raging diseases they get over there, uh, like malaria and all those sort of things. It ravaged the country with sickness. That wasn't it. He says, we have a plague of orphans. Orphans. He said, we got little babies that are not even old enough to sit up. Sitting in the streets of the big cities in Zambia. They're sitting there, are leaned up against the wall. There's nobody seeing after them or taking care of them. Flies are crawling around on them. Their little bellies are, pu- are pushed out like this because they're starving to death. They're sitting there waiting to die. An epidemic of orphans. You know why we got all those orphans over there in Zambia? Dwayne went on to tell me. I'm going to tell y'all. The reason we got an epidemic of orphans in Zambia is because of adultery, fornication, homosexuality, and using dirty needles to take drugs. They've got HIV, they're HIV positive. Their mom and daddy have died. They've died with AIDS because of these things we mentioned right here. How many people do you reckon in the United States have got uh, rampant, uh, wide open AIDS? Well, if you'd like to do yourself a little experimentation when you get time, Google it up. Darlene says you Google up anything, you can Google that up too. You can find out how many AIDS victims there are in the United States. Now, Zambia, we expect stuff like that over there. That's a third world country. Here we are. We're a first world country. What about us? Let me tell you what you'll find. You will not find a definitive answer about how many people in this country have AIDS. You read this account, it'll be this number. You read this over here, it'll be this number right here. You read this here, it'll be another number yet. Now, what's that about? Now, you're looking at a conspiracy if you didn't know it. I don't think people want us to know how many AIDS victims there are. Why are there so many AIDS victims in the United States? Adultery, fornication, homosexuality, and using dirty needles. What is it? That? Sin. That's sin just like it is in Zambia. And that's what that does to people. It is something that as long as we allow these things to exist in our lives, we'll have the same problem. You don't have that problem. With a few rare exceptions. Because the Christian life will keep you out of those things. See, it's good for you. And it ought to make you glad. It ought to allow you to understand that you escape this because you believe in God. And you're working for Him. Last of all for tonight, I want to mention one other thing. The Christian life is the best life because it gives us hope. Our brother tonight, Brother Lauren, when he prayed, he thanked God for hope. You ought to thank God for hope. You know, we're terribly resisted as human beings. Uh, we're resilient is the better word. Uh, we can stand a whole lot if we've got hope. we got the end inside. Or we've got this, uh, we see there's some way this is going to end or we can control it. You've got to have hope. But this is a hopeless world if you're not aware of it. Uh, It is something which they are missing out for the most part. And I want to warn you right here, do not allow anybody to steal your hope. Now they will. They'll try to. When I was about 17 or 18 years old, I had to deal with a person who tried to steal my hope. I didn't know that was what he was doing at the time, but I do now. He used to rag me around. He'd say, "Um, you want to be a preacher? Yeah, that's what I'd like to do. Uh, He said, you think you're going to heaven? Here's a little sidebar right here. If anybody ever asks you, are you going to heaven? Say yes. Yes. If you're living a Christian life, you ask a denominational person, do you think you're going to heaven? What do you think they'll say? Yes. Now, do they want to trade a yes for I hope, or I could, or maybe if everything goes right? Certainly not. When somebody asks you, say yes. Because that's our hope. And you'll be way on down the line as far as recognizing what your purpose is. Our hope is that we're going to heaven. And that hope is not like you hope to win a Reader's Digest sweepstakes. Uh, You know you're not going to do that. This hope is based upon the Word of God. And it's a reality. It is something that's going to happen if you keep your sights on heaven. Uh, let me talk a little bit about this fellow I'm telling you about. He asked me if I thought I was going to heaven, and I said yes. I didn't know any better than you know. I just spit it out like I thought it. Yes. He said, "Do you know anything about the Bible?" I said some. He said, "Do you know about Noah?" He said, "Have you read a half inch of the Bible?" Said that got you over to Noah? I said, "I know about Noah." He said, you know, Noah's day, there probably was several million people on earth. And I agree with that. Probably was. He said, you know how many were saved out of that several million people? Do you? And I said, eight. Thankfully, I knew. Eight. Eight were saved out of several million. And you think you're going to heaven? He said, you know, you remember the story over there in the Old Testament about Lot. Lot was given the opportunity to pick where he'd like to go and he pitched his tent towards Sodom. You remember? Sodom and Gomorrah were two big cities. They probably involved several hundred thousand people. You know how many people were saved out of Sodom and Gomorrah, do you? Three. Lot and his two daughters. And you think you're going to be saved? said, so, you know of the Israelites that escaped out of Egyptian bondage. Uh, you, know, there's a, you know how many of them got to go to the promised land? Uh, do you know that? Uh, how many of them you suppose got to go to the promised land out of all those people? And there were 600,000 men above the age of 21. 600,000 soldiers. How many of them got to go to the promised land? That's right. i got some help now. Two two and you think you're going to heaven, don't let them get it away from you. I want to tell you something I've learned that I don't want you ever to forget. I am not worried about going in with Joshua and Caleb. I'm not worried about uh, trying to get in with uh, Lot and his daughters. I'm not even worried about getting in with Noah and his family. No. I'm way ahead of that. I'm going to Revelation. I told you we were going to do a little study in Revelation. You know, a lot of churches uh, that go through the Bible a chapter at a time on Wednesday night, they get to Revelation and they stop and turn around and start over. Don't do that. You know, Revelation's the only book in the Bible that says, Blessed is he that studied the prophecy of this book. There's a blessing in studying the prophecy of the book of Revelation. Here's the first one I want you to notice with me. Revelation chapter 7 put a big star by that chapter and I'm going to start reading at verse 9 after this I beheld and lo a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands how many was there Three, two, three, eight. I don't know how many there was. There's so many you can't count them. Uh, how do you know? Who they, they got on white robes and they got palms in their hands. Now I'm helping you figure out who this is. You know what the indication of palms in your hand is? Palms are fronds off of palm trees. They are a sign of victory. So we got this innumerable host of people that I got on white robes. And they've got the sign of victory in their hand. Let's read a little bit further. There's somebody there, and I'm glad he was, on down at verse 13. One of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence it came they? I'm so glad that guy's there. What did he say? He said, Who are these people with all these white robes? And where'd they come from? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest, these are they who came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Who is that? It's us, folks. That's us right there. John is looking into heaven in the far future and he sees this great multitude, more than you can count. they got white robes on, they got the side of victory, and they've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. That's us. Those who are the beneficiaries, owe Obedience to the Gospel. The saved of all ages. Now I look at that, and I, I like to think about that, don't you? I like to look at that idea, and I, I want to put this on you. Do you think John, seeing these people, saw me? You think John saw me in that multitude? Now, I think he did. You know why I think he did? Because I want to. I want to think that. I think he saw you too. Because that's what we all want. We want to be reunited one of these days on the other side of death. To live with God in heaven forever. That's our hope. And I find that's something which is within our grasp. I have a little hope. I used to call it a little hope. I still call it a little hope just to get it started. It's not a little hope anymore for me. Uh, The older I've gotten, this has become a big hope. Uh, Let me tell you about something. When it comes my time to step over from this life, this existence, to the next life. Now I did this uh, for importance. It's not that. It's this not right here. When you talk about the next life, we're not talking about down there at the end of the building. We're talking about this step from here right over there. There is a reality in that too that everybody needs to understand. And Here's the way I know it. Uh, before I go kicking and screaming out of this life, before uh, I see bright lights down to the end of the road, or I'm resurrected 12 times on the operating table, I'm not believing in any of that. Right here. There's an angel going to step up and take me by the hand and usher me to paradise. Makes me feel better. No time to be afraid. No time to get scared. No time to have doubts or wonder. It's here, there, to paradise. I am very thankful for that understanding. Luke 16, verse 22. It came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Last of all in this hope, and this is a real big one, I have the hope that when this earth winds down, as I said I believe last night, when this old world grinds to a halt and the curtain of time is dropped once and forever, it's all over. When oh, this old world uh, is going to be uh, hiding in the crevices of the earth and begging the mountains to fall on them to hide them from the wrath of God, I'm not going to be there. I'm going to be long gone. Uh, I'm going to rise to meet my Lord in the air. He's coming back to hover out there and never to put a foot back on His earth to claim those that are His. That's you and that's me. That's the hope which we have. And that's the hope we all can look forward to. The fact that we're going to meet the Lord in the air. What happens to everybody else? Brother and sister, you won't believe this unless you already know it. I'm going to read now in Revelation 14. I'm going to start at verse 18. You know, the holy angels of God are going to reap this world. They're going to reap this world. Look. And another angel came out of the altar which had power over fire and cried with a loud voice to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. It's over. Look a little bit more. The temple um, hold it, I lost one. here we go. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth, and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress, even under the horses' bridles, by the space of a 1,600 furlongs." Here's what that says. The angels are going to come forth and stick their sickles into the earth, the people of the earth, dragged them over and drop them into the wine press of God's wrath. You know what a wine press is? It is used to squeeze the juice out of grapes. They're going to drop the, the lost humanity in this wine press of God's wrath, and they're going to put the wrath of God on them to such a degree that blood runs out of this wine press as deep as the horse's bridles. Depends, of course, on the horse, but that will be about that deep. About that deep. And the blood is going to run for 1,600 furlongs. You know how far 1,600 furlongs is? It's 200 miles. Can you think about a river running that deep for 200 miles? And that is a a sign of the wrath of God. I had a man tell me one time, he said, don't you know that's figurative? Sure I do. If that were literal, you could never unsee that scene. But it's going to happen. The wrath of God will be unleashed of the lost, and their blood will run like a river 200 miles long. Figurative, of course. It will be much worse than that. Not me, though, and not you because we're going to be saved from the wrath of God. We're going to get out of a situation like this. Her illustration. Said an atheist had a Christian friend and uh, they worked together and all the time this atheist, you know, doesn't believe in God. He aggravated the Christian friend with all sorts of stupid questions. And one day the atheist said, what if there is nothing to this Christian life that you're trying to live? What if there is nothing to it? And the Christian said, well, I'll tell you. If there is nothing to the Christian life, I still will have lived the best life you could live in the short time that you're on this earth. But he said, what if there is something to it? There is something to it. Saul Bumper sticker one time, and said, if you don't believe in God, you had better be right. And that's just the way it is. The best life that you can live on your short period here on this earth is the Christian life. It'll supply you something to believe in, something to work at, and something to give you hope as this old world. I'm ready to close this lesson.